This is Sound Only, a recapables miniseries about Neon Genesis Evangelion, now streaming on Netflix. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Micah Peters. We're your Sound Only co-hosts, here to record our deepest, darkest, most passionate analysis about one of the greatest TV shows ever made. And it is Oscar time. We are talking about, we got to episode eight. We're covering episodes eight through 14 of Ava in this episode of Sound Only. Woo! It's time to talk about Oscar. Charity, I got a question for you. I have have a question for you. Why is it that boys are so stupid and horny all the time? Oh my God. Oscar with the great insights about toxic masculinity, (laughs) about standard masculinity. So with episode eight, Asuka arrives in Japan by the credits. We have met basically all of the the core cast of characters that you need to know you have met by the end of this episode. Uh, Everybody's here and we are going to get into the new additions to our core of characters. So. Charity, do you want to start with, uh, you know, the, the, the little episode recap? Start by introducing the most important character <laughs> on this show. The greatest Evangelion pilot who has ever lived. Asuka, <laughs> Langley, Soryu, uh, hailing from Germany. What's standing her height? What's at 5'4". Blood type O. <laughs> uh, well, actually, you know, it's probably close to like 5'2". Whatever. You know, what? she's, yeah, she, it, yeah. she's a little below average height, but, you know. She packs a punch, she however. She packs a punch, however. And we meet uh, Asuka in this episode standing uh, on the observation deck of a helicraft carrier, sundress billowing in the wind, like a, a really strong power Iconic stance. entrance. Iconic entrance. Um, so <clears throat> the beginning of this episode, for reasons that we don't really understand, Toji and Kinsuke have been brought along on this uh, quote-unquote field trip or a date, as Masato calls it, uh, along with Shinji to meet the third children. They get on the they get on the, the deck of the helicraft carrier and Kinsuke is of course, you know, like wearing a military tack vest and like, you know, filming everything and flipping out. And Toji's wearing a hat. And the hat blows off in the wind. And Asuka's entrance com- is comprised of stepping on the hat, grinding it into the deck. And uh, then when Toji goes to reach for it, her skirt blows up in the wind and she slaps everybody. There's a great transition. Fuck your hat. Fuck your hat. And she slaps all three of the boys. Um, And it's a great little transition to the title card, which uh, shows Asuka arrives in Japan. But it's like to the rhythm of the three slaps. But this is how important she is, right? Like the reason they're they're on an aircraft carrier, they're traveling with the United Nations Pacific Fleet which is delivering Evangelion Unit 2 to Tokyo, right? So Asuka's riding along with the whole fleet dedicated to her Evangelion Unit. But yeah, Asuka enters and she's got got the whole city behind her. The whole city (laughs) at sea. The whole culture just called me and And told me to slap you across the face. Yes, (laughs) yes. And she's met Masato before, and Masato's trying to introduce her to all the boys. And she's, Asuka is just like, boys, you're smelly, you're <laughs> gross, you're perverted. Get away from me. Stand, stand 10 meters away from me at all times. 
She she has a Mike Tyson energy. It's very aggressive. It's very aggressive. <laughs> Incredibly aggressive. I want to rip his heart out. I want to I want to rip his heart out. I want to eat his children. Praise be to Allah. <laughs> yeah, she's just very she's very very aggy. She has this very aggressive exchange with all of the boys in the beginning. And then she's just like, hey, Masato, what's up? And they've, they've clearly met each other before. Yeah. And then she introduces, uh, she's just like, this is Shinji, you know, the pilot of Unit 1. And she, like, gets right up in his grill and is just like, you short. And short. You look like an oaf. <laughs> you short. You look like an oaf. Um, <laughs> her energy. Her energy, energy is 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 very. It's yeah. You know what? Yeah, it's very. It, it, if you would describe yourself as uh, wantonly antagonistic, yeah. Uh, um, yes. Contrarian. <laughs> Contrarian. Uh, uh, yeah. So anyway, they all have lunch. Shinji doesn't even fuck up in any meaningful way in his first interaction with Asuka, right? And and clearly, Asuka doesn't really like him, but sort of first note you get between Asuka and Shinji is that Asuka is the newest Ava pilot and she wants Shinji to know and she wants Masato to know and she wants everyone to know that she is the best Ava pilot to date. So she's not, it's not, she's not just being rude for being rude's sake. She's, she's trying to establish very quickly a dominance uh, among the Evangelion pilots. She is, if, if, Shinji is this character who doesn't even want to pilot the robot. Asuka is, is the more so conventional anime protagonist. She read the script for Evangelion and is like, yes, I want to pilot the giant robot to save humanity and destroy all the monsters. That's me. So they immediately after meeting on the, on, on the deck of the helicopter carrier, they all sit down for lunch. Well, there's a new person at lunch. And there is a new person at lunch. His name is Kaji. He is, um, he's got, he's got a ponytail, which is in in He's a fuck boy. We love him. He's a fuck he's boy. He's a heartthrob. He is, and also crucially, he's the first kind of male authority figure, figure in, in, Shinji's life that isn't, you know, an distant asshole. or an asshole. And, you know, he talks to him like a human. And he's just like, he, he his first interaction with Shinji is to say, oh, you're the guy that piloted the Ava with zero training beforehand and won. You know, like it's everybody knows about you. And Shinji notably is pleased to hear it. I mean, like, he's pleased to be spoken to as if he were actually in the room and a full human being. Um, so, yeah. Also, uh, a nice little note that is in the animation is, like, he is playing footsie with Masato under the table. You get through a couple of... of, of Swag. Yeah, just <laughs> through a couple of small notes, you... It's never explicitly mentioned, but you get the gist that him and Masato used to date. I mean, you get more than the gist. But first we should say that the reason... So Kaji's there. Kaji and Asuka are both from the German branch of Nerve, right? And so Kaji's kind of there as... Uh, he's there for a lot of reasons that we'll get into, but one capacity he's there in is as Asuka's escort. Um, and Kaji and Asuka know each other, whereas Kaji is just getting to know Shinji at lunch, right? But yeah, at that lunch, the the energy of the lunch is real funny because apart from 
playing footsie with Masato. He then Haji also starts, goes starts dragging Masato. Yeah, well, I mean, bit. like it's just like uh, he goes. Okay, so in the Netflix dub, he says, "Um, so Shinji, I hear that you live with Masato. Does she still embarrass herself in bed?" And it's you know a little less direct than in the in the. Uh, in the subtitled version where he goes like, does she still, you know, steal all of the covers or does she still toss and turn in her sleep? Um, but Fuck I mean, like, boy. you know, you can, yeah, it's just... This motherfucker. In front of all of the children, like the disrespect. Um, but everybody at the table is mortified except for Shinji who doesn't really, it doesn't really phase him at all. Um, he's a virgin who doesn't understand he's the a question. virgin that doesn't understand the question no one is more mortified than Masato who at one point just covers her head at the table and is like this is a this, this is, is a nightmare, nightmare. I, I can't, can't believe, believe this shit but to contextualize this a little bit she has just stood up to the admiral of the UN fleet um, and just been like listen yeah it's fine you know like you can you know stay up here on your command deck and do whatever, but like if shit pops off, we're gonna be in charge, just so you know. And it's right. just like every all the kids are just like, oh, Masada's so cool, she's so collected. And then as soon as Kaji gets into the picture, it is just like back to zero. Like I've she's back in college again. And we should say the like at this point, the United Nations is the fourth organization in this universe that is just like fuck nerve. I can't believe we have to work with these people. Uh but yes, the Admiral and all the crew on the ship are very skeptical of Masato, and Masato has to sort of grin and bear all of their sort of resisting her authority uh, on this mission to transport Unit 2 to Tokyo 3. And then after lunch is over, Asuka is just like, Shinji, you like riding in the back of Phantoms? And then she just takes him down to the deck. It's just like, yo, check this out. Check this shit out. You see the doors lift up on this? This is unit two, man. This is, this is, this is, uh. The leather interior. The leather interior. Inside peanut butter, outside jelly, Shinji. Look TV at this shit. TV displays in the <laughs> back. <laughs> and at one point she straight up says, Bro, I'm not going to lie to you. Unit 0 and Unit 1 are trash prototypes <laughs> that were used only to make Unit 2. Unit yeah, it's two just like, this is one is, you are meant to understand that Unit 2 is the first Evangelion that is purpose-built for combat. Uh, that is what you're supposed to take away from the scene. And also, again, to hammer down the fact that Asuka is just like, yo, I'm here now. I'm pilot number one. I'm captain. I'm the captain. Yeah, Asuka is going really hard in this this quasi-charm offensive against Shinji. And there's a point actually where she has a private conversation with Kaji where she's just like, I, this Shinji kid seems like a dweeb. And and Kaji is, again, Kaji once again is talking Shinji up and is saying, I don't know, man, like he's been in combat before. He's beaten angels. And that you can sort of see in that conversation because Asuka respects Kaji because Asuka is a wannabe adult uh, she she at that moment decides that like okay I have to find a way to I'm I'm gonna berate Shinji but I also need to impress him. Um, so there's there's this like half antagonization that she's doing to Shinji, but the other half of her really is trying to sincerely impress him. 
Yeah, it is. And this is characteristic of an internal conflict that is going to manifest itself in much bigger ways down the line. Um, But I also think it's fascinating how Asuka and Kaji interact. If you if you compare it to how like think of how Shinji and Masato interact, it's, it's this very uneven dynamic where Shinji is always sort of playing the kid. Masato is always playing the adult. He There's says, lots of condescension. It's really there them. between, like, it's there in the way that Shinji addresses Masato. It's always Miss Masato, Miss Masato, Miss Masato. Yeah. And I mean, like, it's kind of like Asuka is the the friend in your group that calls their parents by their first name. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. when she's talking to Kaji, it's very, it's, it's some Igby goes down shit where she is just, She's pretending to be an adult. She's pretending to be older and more mature than she actually is when she's talking to other, when she's talking to actual adults like Masato and Kaji. Which I mean, like, is is the usual shit about. I want to skip over the pain and awkwardness of adolescence. I just, I'm just ready to be an adult already. But <clears throat> you get more about that later. Um, also. Uh, Asuka is, I'm about to pull out a, a term that I don't really know how to, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, but I'm going to try anyway. She's a Sundere archetype, which is- Sundere hours. Yeah, real Sundere hours. She's mean. Um, it, Which is, I mean, it's a portmanteau between two Japanese words, one of which means aloof and standoffish, and the other one that means love struck. Um, so these characters are kind of the ones that act are are just- not mortified, but disgusted by their feelings for other characters and um, are embarrassed by them and they lead to them lashing out. Other ones are, other notable ones in different meanings would be Lulu from Final Fantasy X or Sakura from Naruto and another no, one no. is... You need a, okay, a non-Japanese reference point for this. Helga Pataki. Helga from Pataki. Helga Pataki, who is just kind of like, you know, beating the shit out of, of, of Arnold. But has a shrine to him. But has a shrine to him in her closet. <laughs> exactly. Also, Vegeta is one. Vegeta, Helga Pataki, and Vegeta. Helga Pataki, Vegeta. Uh, Vegeta, who is arrogant and murderous, and then just arrogant and eventually just a dick who marries Bulma and raises trucks. Anyway. Continue. Everybody is showing off and trying to upstage each other. And then there's an angel attack. Uh, and this angel is named Gagiel. And it's basically just a big ass floppy manta. Recipe, uh, Steve Irwin. Rest, don't do that. That's dumb. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> don't do that. It's a big white <laughs> floppy manta. And it starts attack. It, it rushes up basically on the fleet. They detect it before it even starts attacking. But Gagiel starts attacking all the ships. The ships start firing at Gagiel with all their conventional weapons. And of course, of course, the weapons don't do shit. Yeah. And the Admiral is just kind of like, you know, well, we got this. We should. His asides up to this point have been complaints about the UN funneling money into Nerv and just being like that money would be better spent on us. And... This is... He thinks we're in Congress right now. We're not. We're in combat. (laughs) We're in combat. There's an angel attack. We are going to die if you don't listen. Right. So you've got... So Asuka, of course, Asuka being aggressive and competitive, she hears the angel attacking and she says, oh, it's time to go. Unit two is is in the fleet. 
she she has her plug suit ready to go. Uh, so she's ready to ride out. She's like, I'm going to prove myself in combat, and this will be my debut mission in the Pacific. Yes, she does say that, but also, crucially, she's just like, Shinji, you're coming along with so you can see how great I am. Yes. Um, she has a spare plug suit that <laughs> Shinji then gets into, and... This comedic beat of Shinji having to wear the red lady plug suit. Yeah. That matches Asuka and him feeling super uncomfortable. Yeah, but let me ask you how you feel about that particular uh, facet of this episode where she's just like, hey, get in the cockpit with me because I want you to see up close. Because the first time I watched it, I was just like, oh, she's just, you know, being annoying and like, and showing off and and hot dogging or whatnot. And then the second time I watched it, I was just like, there's something weird about this. And then the third time I was just like, oh, maybe she has this creeping feeling that she might need help or <laughs> because she's yet to be in combat with an angel. Um, and Shinji's the only one that's done it successfully. What did you think about that? I think it's more so that she does, she, half of her wants to rub it very, very directly in Shinji's face, her performance. But the other half of her really does just instinctively seek companionship. She like Asuka's the sort of character who can't be alone in a room without kind of going a little bit crazy. And so she forces Shinji into the cockpit, I feel like, just because she she it's not that she necessarily wants help or wants his guidance, uh, or or wants any pointers from him. She just needs somebody to be with her. She just, she needs that. She needs, she needs to connect with someone under this, this high stakes situation. Yes. Yeah. They launch unit two. And the thing is that like, it's the, the, the first real shot you get of unit two in it's full glory. It's, uh, draped in this, in a cape. It's it, got it's a got cape. A, it's got a cape. That's you know, how like, good it this the thing tar- is. It's it red and has a cape. The, the it turned the tarp that was uh, you know like over it to make sure that you know like rain and pigeon shit don't get on it into a cape, and yeah. it is one of the cooler looking things, especially yeah, sure. when it pulls out the progressive knife, and it's just like, oh, this is like the samurai bot. This one is. This one has just yo Jimbo. Unit two, unit two got all the sauce. Let's yes. just say that. Let's, yes. let's, let's put it that way. It's candy red. It's candy red. It gleams um, in the sun. <laughs> uh, but this fight, this fight is well. First of all, even before Oscar really starts fighting in Unit Two, she uh, she's on battery power because she's on a ship that's separate from the ship that has the power supply. She, she does this. She does this wild hopscotch maneuver across the fleet, where one she kind of half destroys the fleet herself because she jumps across several ships to get to the ship that has the the power supply for her to plug up to. Um, but but Unit 2 connecting to the power supply creates this problem, right? Because basically what happens, you have Gagiel, this big, floppy, oceanic angel, basically tackles Unit 2. And a couple things happen here. One, Unit 2 drops the progressive knife into the into the ocean. So it doesn't have the knife now. You threw the knife out the window. (laughs) (laughs) And two, this fight ultimately gets taken, like Gagio successfully brings this fight underwater. And unit two is connected to the the electrical umbilical cord. And so Gagio 
basically drags Unit 2 out to sea. And it's at this point that uh, Misato, you know, does her quick thinking thing and it's just like, oh, this is like fishing. Well, actually, it's no, Toji. No, no, it's Toji. Toji is the one that recognizes that it's, this is like fishing and Misato's just like, that's it. And they hit reverse on the umbilical cord thing and start reeling in Gagiel. Um, and the plan is to force his mouth open so that they can destroy it. Right. Well, the other half of the plan is basically the umbilical cord. So unit two is at the end of the umbilical cord. So Masato, and this is where Masato stunts on the UN, uh, the fleet, the naval commander. And she says, listen, I need you to sacrifice two battleships, line two battleships up with the umbilical cord and then sink them so that they start to, to capsize. And so basically she's trying to get, by reeling unit two back in, they're trying to align the two sinking battleships with Gagiel's mouth as unit two forces Gagiel's mouth open. And the plan is for the two sinking battleships to open fire into Gagiel's mouth since unit two doesn't have the progressive knife and also can't really function. It's not really configured to function underwater. So the only thing it can actually do is, is expend enough energy to open Gagiel's mouth. But otherwise, the battleships are going to have to to blow this thing open. Meanwhile, in the cockpit of Unit 2, Asuka is struggling to force Gagiel's mouth open. And Shinji is just like, I'll help. Grabs the controls. And this there is another uh, comedic beat where basically Asuka is just hitting Shinji in the head and just being like, let me do it. Let me do it. I can do it. I don't need your help. Um, but also like they're before the, okay. So before the battle started, they were trying to, when, when Asuka was trying to sync up with unit two, they had to reconfigure the cockpit to Japanese because Shinji can't think in German. And that's an important thing to this part of the the episode where the two of them are in the cockpit and trying to force Gagiel's mouth open because they have to find a way to get their thoughts in sync in order for this to work. The whole point of the cockpit is loneliness. And Shinji, just by virtue of being there and thinking in a different native language, is upending that loneliness. And that sort of creates the, the difficulties between Asuka and Shinji throughout the course of this battle. Essentially, Asuka and Shinji have to learn how to tag team this on the fly. They have to learn how to work in sync on the fly. And it doesn't work really initially because Asuka is just still on her boys are horny and stupid tip. There's a there's a, another funny beat in there where uh, after Masato is just like, the two of you are going to have to work together. Asuka's just like, don't get any funny ideas. And Shinji's just like, why would I? Asuka and, thinks every boy is into her. That yeah. She thinks every boy wants her. Yes. And uh, Shinji's just like, look, man, I just, I'm just trying to fix the fucking sink. This is like the way that he's approaching this, right? And the two of them are trying to force Gagiel's mouth open. And they finally stop talking and just start concentrating on the word open, 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 open. And they managed to pry the mouth open at the very last second. And uh, they destroy the angel. And uh, they then there's, there's this really cool shot where there's a massive explosion out of the water. And then you see a shadow growing on a nearby deck of a different helicraft carrier. And uh, unit two makes the superhero landing. And then immediately falls on its face. <laughs> yes. 
And that's Asuka's, that's Asuka's interest. That's her intro. She, she definitely gets the best intro. She, like, Shinji's intro in episode one, he literally trips over his dick in <laughs> the first fight. Asuka, meanwhile, I mean, Asuka inside the cockpit is kind of a mess, but she is a much more elegant pilot. She has a style. That's really what it is. Asuka has a sense of style. Yeah, she she has a flair for the dramatic. Asuka is the the most vinable is the most vinable pilot in in the show. Um in terms of like, you know, I like it's all highlights. You can catch her on TikTok. Yeah, she blows up the angel and is just like, you know, like y'all don't y'all must not watch TV. It's it's very like she's M1, she's the M1 mixtape of Evangelion pilots. It's great. We love her. We love to see it. We this love to of, see this it. This is a case of we love to see it. We love to see it. So you have this dramatic ending. You have Asuka having demonstrated how much of a badass she is to Masato. You have Ritsuko come along. Uh, once Once the fleet docks in Japan, Ritsuko come, comes along and says, oh, I'm, I'm looking over the report of this battle that you guys had. And let me tell you, Asuka's synchronization ratio with the Ava is off the charts. It's incomparable. No one's fucking with her. She's the best pilot, clearly. Um, but in the course of all of this, in the course of the battle, actually, there's a point where it's basically right when Asuka starts fucking the fleet up. Uh, Kaji surfaces on one of the decks in a jet and waves to Masato. He's like, I gotta go. Yeah, it's just like, yo, I, gotta, I think you got this handled. Y'all got I'll, this handled. I, I'll, I'll holler at you back in Japan. Right, and he specifically <laughs> says... I, I have a delivery to make. Um, and he just flies away on this jet. And Masato's like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, he, you're leaving? Uh, and he flies away. But there's a point immediately before that where Kaji is in his... He's he's in steerage somewhere on the phone. And he appears to be... I think it's Fuyutsuki that he's talking to. Um, and he's reporting the angel attack. He's like, look, you know, things are kind of fucked up out here. Uh, in the ocean, and Fuyuski's like, listen, you know, if 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 all if all goes wrong, I need you to escape alone. I need you to. If no one else survives, I I need you to survive and deliver what you're supposed to deliver. Um, and so that's when you first get this sense of, oh, this fleet is delivering Unit Two to Japan, and it's delivering Asuka along with Unit Two. But Kaji has an assignment on top of that, and only Kaji and Fuyutsuki know what that assignment is. And Kaji's shadiness about this assignment only enhances, it further enhances his fuckboy quality. We don't fully know what this guy is up to. He's a hot man with nice stubble and a very smooth voice and secret missions. And this is a, he, you know, like he's just, and, and just, just out here responding to texts every one to three business days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, we, we don't, we don't know anything of, we don't trust Kaji just yet. But we like him. We, <laughs> we like, like him. him though. We like him. He's nice. He's nice in a way that none of the other characters in the show are nice. He's a constructive person. He's not like Masato who just yells at teenagers for no reason. He's great. He's just a little shady. It's a, there's a chance that he might be committing some light treason. Light, tre- <laughs> light treason, <laughs> light treason. 
Kaji lights off somewhere to make some sort of secret delivery. And the episode ends with Shinji, Toji, and Kensuke all back in homeroom. Um, and with Toji and Kensuke just being like, oh, thank God, we're just, we're never going to have to see the girl again. You know, like Asuka, she sucks, right? Right, guys? And then the episode ends with Asuka introducing herself to their homeroom as, hi, I'm the new student, Guten Morgen. And our national nightmare continues. It's funny. The next episode, which is called Mind Matching Moment, opens. Uh, it opens at school, actually. And it's sort of chronicling Asuka's... Let's talk about exactly how the episode opens with, like... It's kind of like photos being taken by like oh yeah it's the paparazzi sound yeah. it's just yes. like it's exactly and it's Kinsuke taking like some Ooh, very voyeuristic photos of <sighs> all of the girls in school it's yeah, very that's, problematic that's also, yeah that's weird actually yeah. Um, I forgot about that part yeah exactly just like shooting across the way from a vantage point into the girls' locker room it's very creepy stuff yeah um. But anyway, it's just kind of like, you know, the the episode begins with kids just being like, who is she? Um, well, there, and- there are other there's other anonymous student chatter. And one of the anonymous students whispering about Oscar calls her the foreign exchange student hottie or cutie. Oscar's <laughs> totally playing into this this glamorized sense of being an Ava pilot. In other words, she's doing what Shinji failed to do at school. She's really capitalizing on people being fascinated by the Evangelion pilots and seeing the Ava pilots as heroes. She's really mastered the, you know, like the two hand wave from the car, mm-hmm. like down the main thoroughfare thing. And the hair flips. And the hair flips. But then, you know, like you cut to, you know, actual real time and she's opening her locker and love notes are pouring out. And she steps she on them. She steps on them. Fuck this shit. Fuck all these horny fuck boys. Fuck your letters. Yeah, fuck your letters. She fuck really your has that a, adoration. She has, a, she has a complex. There is, there is a, clear romantic complex happening here where she is just stepping on items of affection. Some people are into that kind of thing. We don't judge. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, There is one character who does not, I mean, apart from Kinsuke and Toji and Chinchi, there is another character who does not react to Asuka this way, and it's Rei. So Asuka at school finally has the opportunity to go and introduce herself to Ray, And she does it in this very psychotic fashion where instead of, so Ray is sitting on a bench reading. And instead of just walking over and being like, hey, I'm Asuka, Yo, she randomly like, stands on a exactly. ledge. It's basically like any time that you see somebody that you know, but you don't know, know, and they are like across the room, there's this weird palpable tension between the two of you just being like, I'm not saying hi first. I'm not saying hi first. I'm not saying hi first. You should say hi to me. You know me. You can come over here and say hi. What you got going on that you can't do that? Yeah. And it's just like, okay. This is unproductive and stupid. Somebody just say what up. And even when Asuka does say what up, she's standing on a ledge over top of Ray, And so it feels like this very physically condescending scene. And Asuka is just like, you should be so happy to meet me. And, you know, we're obviously going to be friends. We're both Ava pilots. We're obviously going to be close friends. Because I'm delightful and amazing and you should want to know me. Right. And Ray Ray spits a hot bar here where she responds to Asuka with like, 
if ordered to, I will be a friend. <laughs> she distracts her. If ordered to, I will be a friend. Ray is future. Yeah, she's just like, I'm good, love, enjoy. She's just cold in a way that is like, there's a lot of uh, emotional significance in Ray and the things she says, but it's all very succinct and it's kind of flat and it can sometimes feel exceedingly callous despite how casual she is about shit. Such as saying, if ordered to, I will be a friend. So while everyone is at school, we actually find out that Kaji has turned up at NERV. And we also find out that Kaji also knows Ritsuko. You see Kaji smooching all over Ritsuko and you're like, what is going on here? Is he going to mack every single woman in this show? Uh, but then it quickly becomes clear that he's only macking on Ritsuko because he knows Masato is looking and he's trying to make her jealous. Uh, Kaji is playing what we call the long game. <laughs> uh, but he also just says, oh, yeah, I'm actually going to be, I'll be here in Japan for a while. We can catch up just like old times. So Kaji's talking to Ritsuko Masato and it's all fun and games until... Israfel attacks the next angel. Um, unit one and unit two, Shinji and Asuka deploy together. And again, they have the weird power dynamic where Asuka's just like, yo, hang back. I got this. This is going to be a solo. You just cover me. I got it, Shinji. Get out of the way. And she tries to, to, to kill the angel all by her lonesome using her, her, her giant staff with the knife on the end. I think Naginata is the technical term. And it fails horribly because the angel splits into two and then just washes both of them. She thinks she's beat the angel them. when it splits into two. She splits exactly. into two. She's like, we're done here. Thank you. Half. Half. Take half. <laughs> half all his shit. And she's just like, yeah, I did it. And then it's just like, oh, no, you just slowed it down for a second. And it split into two and it washes both unit one and unit two. And Nerve uh, regards this as its greatest professional embarrassment. Yeah, they for they force Shinji and Asuka to watch the playback, and everybody is just dre- like Fuji is like this is the most embarrassed I have ever been in my entire life. And then at one point they call Ritsuko, and Ritsuko only says one word. She says, "Appalling," and then she just hangs up. <laughs> <laughs> the only person, the only person who does not, who who cuts them some slack is Kaji. You know, Kaji in his, in his typical cheerful fashion is like, well, I guess we just have to try again. Wow, um, that was really good. That was that was that was great voice work. Uh, what the f- and and actually, in this episode, it's Kaji who develops the plan to defeat Israfel. Uh, and Kaji Kaji writes the plan on a. It's like he has a USB stick that he asks receive. How does he have so many USB sticks? Like he's, he's <laughs> he, just got. He's but he puts a note on it. It's like yeah, he kisses. Yeah. The, he like draw a heart on it, and he gives it to Ritsuko to give to Masato. Masato's dealing with the fallout of of Shinji and Asuka fucking up against Israfel, buried yep. beneath paperwork. Right, and Ritsuko's like, "Listen, your boyfriend. I mean, your friend Kaji. Uh, <laughs> he's developed a plan, and it's a pretty good plan." And, I mean, first, Asuka has to get settled at Nerve. She moves into Masato's apartment. She thinks she's displacing Shinji in Masato's apartment, but actually, she quickly learns that Masato, Shinji, and Asuka will all be living together in Masato's apartment. That's clearly going to go great. But once Asuka is settled into Masato's apartment, 
Masato's like, look, we got to talk about the angel battle that you guys fucked up. We're going to send you guys back out in a few days. And in the course of a few days, we have developed a battle plan for you to defeat this weird twin angel that splits into two. We have developed a... How would you describe it, Micah? It's sort of like ballet choreography. It's synchronized ballet choreography. It's, well, yeah, it's well, yeah, it is synchronized ballet choreography. That's exactly right. That's, you didn't need my help. Yeah, that was, but that's yeah. the style of fighting that Kaji is like. This is this is how we will defeat this particular angel, and it's some real cartoon shit. I will say it is. It's it's like it is essentially. It's it's the fusion dance. Right, um, right, right, right. The hurdle here isn't even the angel's power or anything like that. It's the fact that Masato needs to get Shinji Ikari and Asuka Langley Soryu, who clearly are just at odds, who operate at totally different rhythms. She needs to get them synchronized. They basically need to do the, like the, the backup dancer choreography for I Need a Girl Part 2 at the VMAs. Like, and they need to get it down in the course of like five days. Yes. And if they don't, everyone die. Like that's the thing. It's like that. How do you how do you raise the stakes of a dance montage? How do you turn how do you turn save the last dance into a life or death situation? Ah, you add a giant monster, and if you don't that learn, will it's not about getting destroy. into Juilliard. <laughs> We're trying to save humanity. Uh, and so yeah, Asuka and Shinji having to learn this synchronized dance routine that once they get in the Avas is going to be a synchronized combat routine, basically. Um, but all of the exercises for how they do this are kind of silly and stupid. There's a point where they Asuka and Shinji play Twister in Masato's apartment with, with Kinsuke and Toji and Hikari from school all watching. They answer the door, and it's just like they also have to, in addition to dressing the exact same and learning these... These synchronization hey, things, they have to also finish each other's sentences and speak in unison. Yes. Um, they brush their teeth together. Yeah. They, they do everything they together. They do laundry together. They breathe together. <laughs> they breathe in sync. And uh, it is still not working during this, this visit from all of their classmates. And Ray is also there. And... Uh, Oscar's just like, you know what? I've had enough of this shit. I could like, I, there's no way this can work. Cause I can't dumb myself down for this, this slavish, ugly, stupid boy, boy. Exactly. And Masato's just like, all right, well, is, am I hearing you correctly? You, you, say it with your chest. Say you don't want to do this anymore. And Asha's just like, if I quit, there's no one to replace me. And she says this with a no small amount of self-satisfaction. And Masato's just like, takes a swig of a beer. She's just like, okay, Ray. And she's just like, yeah, I got it. And then her and Shinji do the dance steps perfectly together. And Asuka is not happy Asuka about says, it. You motherfucker. You motherfucker. She's you already been mad at Shinji since being introduced. And now she begins to be upset at Ray. She's upset at everybody. She's just, you know, fuck the world at this point. Storms off. Um, and Shinji goes after her and goes in, in d- d- fateful interaction in a, in a corner store. Um, and Asuka's just like, you know what? Let's do this for real. Like, let's, sh- let's, let's do this. Let's, let's make this work. 
Let's show these motherfuckers what's up. The funny thing about the conversation in the corner store is that they're wearing their their weird their they have this weird leotard like get up. Yeah, yeah, it's great. It is. They look it cute. Is. They look kind of adorable, even though all their they interactions really are like, "I fucking hate you." Yeah, it's, they really do. And they're they're wearing they're wearing like matching Richard Simmons leotards and the and the and the same t shirt. The t shirt has funny. an eighth note on it. They have like two <laughs> eighth notes on both of them, and they're matching t shirts. So they really put their backs into it. They really synchronize their day-to-day routine. They're not just synchronizing the exercises at this point. Asuka and Shinji are synchronizing everything about their daily routine. And you get to the last night before Nerve is going to redeploy Unit 1 and Unit 2. And Masato is late at work. She's getting ready for the battle. And so Asuka and Shinji have the apartment to themselves. And Asuka's like, oh, great. Masato's not going to be home. Cool. We're not going to sleep in the living room together as part of this exercise. Like, I'm going to go to my room. And you're going to go to your room. And, like, this one last night before the exercise, we don't need to be in sync. I just want to get a good night's sleep. And so they go to bed. And then, in the middle of the night, uh, while Shinji is, again, listening to music and not really sleeping, the door slides open. And Asuka, she doesn't actually go to the bathroom. I, it, okay, yeah. this is the like, rhythm it's, of it's, it looks like it's the, the kind rhythm, of the, the way a person is awake when they need to pee and is immediately going to fall yeah, back asleep. Exactly, but the thing is that like in it's it's up to you um, how, what you choose to take from this scene. But the way that I read it is that it's kind of happening in real time, like to where somebody gets up and goes to the bathroom and flushes the toilet, but isn't actually going to the bathroom. And then she comes back out and gets into bed with Shinji. Shinji, who's not actually asleep, who has got his headphones in and is awake. But if anything, Shin, even though Asuka has just gotten into bed, she is at least half asleep, whereas Shinji's fully awake. And so you have this awkward shot you're in Shinji's bedroom. The lights are off. Shinji's got his eyes wide open because he is shocked that Asuka has joined him in bed. And Shinji, for whatever reason, you know what? Asuka's diagnosed the reason, which is that boys are awful and horny and stupid. Shinji fixates on Asuka's face, and it looks for a moment like he's trying to move his head closer to her and kind of wants to steal a kiss in Asuka's sleep. And right before their lips touch, she starts to cry and says, Mommy. When I say Shinji's trying to steal a kiss or thinks about stealing a kiss, it's certainly not that... It's presented as this very ambiguous moment on screen where Shinji himself doesn't really know what he's thinking about Asuka. He just knows that he's close to this person in a way that he isn't ever really close with people. Um, certainly with a girl his age. And yeah, he just seems sort of instinctively drawn to her face. And the yeah, the moment when Asuka mouths mommy and she has a, she has like a tear leaking out of her closed eyes, uh it, it's very disorienting. It's supposed to make you feel very like, oh wow, this is the these kids are in a weird place right now. Yeah, this is this is fucked. And it um, immediately cuts to Shinji uh, being, getting up and going to the other side of the room, right, and just sleeping on the floor and, and seating the bed to Asuka. And he says, uh, crucially, "You're just as much of a kid as me." Yeah, 
okay, so there's that weird furtive aborted kiss between Shinji and Asuka. Uh, that's very awkward. And that scene is followed the next day by a much more deliberate and passionate and graphic and prolonged kiss between Masato and Kaji in the elevator. K-I-S-S-I-N-G. They're kissing for like 20 <laughs> seconds. It's it's some real, and they're they're moving around in a weird way. There's a I real think physicality kissing for twenty to it. seconds is is just one of them almost like making consciousness. Out. Yeah, yeah. It's I can't tell if anybody's breathing. Yeah, it's and when they finally when they finally break from the kiss, Masato clearly feels very ambivalent and kind of gross about it. She's like, I we can't. We had a relationship once, and I don't really want to go there. And you can't kiss me like that again. Um, and she steps out of the elevator. And the the door closing puts the, the required distance between her and Kaji. And later on, Masato and Ritsuko are having a drink. And Ritsuko prods Masato about Kaji. And Masato just gets very defensive. And she's thinking about their relationship from back in the day. Eight years ago, they dated. And she clearly just has a lot of regrets about this relationship and thinks of it as a youthful indiscretion. At one point, she calls her relationship with Kaji stupid. You know, it's it's that kind of relationship. It's the kind of relationship you have with the fuck boy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just anytime his name gets mentioned, Masato's forehead starts getting hot. So the actual battle, um, take two against Israfel. So the entire time that... Uh, Asuka and Shinji are learning to get in sync. They've been listening to the exact same song uh, so that they can, uh, when they detach from their umbilical power cords, complete the the battle in the course of 62 seconds. And that is what this synchronization, this these, these dance steps are set to. So immediately the song starts. They go through this beautiful choreographed dance. And uh, they defeat the angel. Um, and at the very last second, they fuck it up, of course, and end up falling on their faces again. And Asuka picks up the phone in her Ava and calls Shinji just to just tear him a new one for fucking up at the last second and missing his last mark. Um, and it is another hilarious moment where then she brings up their their strange uh, aborted kiss from the night before and she's just like did you try to kiss me while I was sleeping which is not a thing that she would know if she was actually sleeping mm. uh, which Shinji Shinji makes a note of but it's very it's hilarious because everybody at back at HQ is of course embarrassed and mortified by this except for Kaji who is just like all you know puppy love um but Asuka's just screaming at Shinji until the episode ends. Pervert! I knew you were trying to, like, you're just like all the rest of them. Magma Diver's interesting, at, at least because it's the first time that Nerve detects and identifies an angel preemptively. Um, they're working with this, this Earthquake Research Institute, and the Institute identifies a strange embryo in a volcano and Fiyutsuki and, and Ritsuko show up to the scene and they send a probe down. They figure out that the embryo is in fact an angel. And so at that point, Nerve orders the 
the Geological Institute under the jurisdiction of Nerve, and Gendo and Fiyutsuki devise a plan to not only preempt and attack the angel before it hatches, but they actually want to capture the angel. Uh, the angel's name is Sandalfon, and Gendo is so arrogant as to believe that he is going to get Unit 2 <laughs> to descend this volcano, put the embryo, put the angel embryo in a crate, and bring it back to Nerve. Um, and instead of unsurprisingly, this does not, this does not go well. Um, again, Nerve dispatches Unit 2 to retrieve Sandalfon. Asuka actually does successfully get Sandalfon into the cage, but when they're reeling Asuka back to the surface, Sandalfon hatches. It becomes this whole ordeal because during the very long descent, um, Asuka keeps dropping the progressive knife, which is not great so far. She has a bad record of holding on to the knife. But Unit 1, Shinji, drops his knife down the volcano, and the tension is in the very, very slow, long descent of the Unit 1 knife down to Asuka while she's trying to fight off Sandalfon, which is hatched into... It looks like a whale when it hatches. It looks like a lava it looks whale. Like a, it looks like a leviathan. It looks... Yeah. yeah, and it's trying to suck on to Asuka's face. Um, and Asuka catches the knife. Unit 2 starts stabbing Sandalfon in the face. Uh, but unfortunately, Sandalfon's skin is kind of made of... It's like if its skin were made of diamonds. It's just there's no penetration happening. She keeps stabbing Sandalfon with the knife. And it's not working, and she has no other weapons to use against Sandalfon. And Shinji and Asuka have this joint epiphany about their homework from school, their science homework, which uh, they had a science homework about the principle of thermal expansion. And so Asuka, when she, when when Ritsuko and Nerve have have sent Unit Two down the volcano, they've attached these valves that are pumping coolant into unit two and so asuka rips one of the valves out and stabs the valve into sandalfon and and the sort of the temperature differential is supposed to blow the angel up basically and in its dying moments sandalfon cuts all of the other coolant valves and so it seems like all is lost for unit two but then shinji himself valiantly descends the volcano to grab Unit 2's hand and drag Asuka back up to the surface. And this, it's this very heroic moment. And Shinji gets to play the hero in Magma Diver. And because this whole battle happened while Asuka, Shinji, and Rei missed a school trip in case of a, an angel attack, Masato takes, uh, Masato takes Asuka and Shinji and Pen Pen, actually, to a hot springs to congratulate them for defeating Sandalfon. And uh, one, it's like, it's a, the hot springs is a skinny dipping situation. So you have uh, Shinji and Pin Pin together on one side. I guess that's when we canonically establish that Pin Pin is male. Um, <laughs> and on the other side, you have Asuka and Masato together bonding. Asuka notices this this big scar on Masato's chest and they have kind of, you know, short words about each other's past where Asuka is just like, you know, you probably know all about 
all of my past, don't you? And Masato says, yes, but, you know, like, the past is the past. It's the first moment with Asuka where it feels like she's being straight with someone. She's not, there's no bravado. When she says, you probably know all about my past, don't you? Um, She doesn't elaborate on what that means. It's this very brief, conclusive moment for the episode. It's it's this moment. It's it's this moment where you're. It's this very brief, conclusive moment for the episode, where you're meant to understand that Masato and Asuka understand each other and are are working through some unspoken trauma on both their ends, and also that Asuka takes Masato seriously and Masato takes Asuka seriously in a way that. Feels it honestly feels kind of different from how Masato relates to Shinji. Sometimes it there it feels like a more even keel relationship in that moment between Masato and Asuka, um, who who just both perceive that they've both had kind of a rough life and they're both kind of just doing their best. And Asuka does a lot of bluffing, and Masato also does a lot of bluffing. Although they have two different styles of bluffing um but yeah it's this brief moment at the end of magma diver where these two characters get to relax and drop their guard around each other yeah. and it is different from the way that because they're not surrounded by stupid exactly. <laughs> but it is it is different from the way that masato relates to shinji because they masato and asuka have you know intimate knowledge about what one of the other are going through and with shinji like Gendo and his, the way that he is and the nature of their relationship is unknowable even to Shinji and especially to Masato who's kept in the dark about a lot of things at Nerve. So it's not like a thing that she can ably understand. And you're, you're sort of left guessing what the subtext is between Asuka and Masato. But the most obvious quality about both of them is that you don't know anything about their parents. Um, and so that's sort of one of the hints toward why they bond in this moment and why their sadness comes from a similar place. It's like Shinji obviously has his dad, but his dad is a problematic dad. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, Masato and Asuka don't really appear to have parents to speak of. And uh, yeah, a lot of the sadness in the moment derives from that fact. And it is a fact which we will explore in later episodes. In fact, these next few episodes. In In the Still Darkness, it opens with Hyuga, Alba, Ibuki, Ritsuko, and Futsuki all running errands around the city, just living their daily lives. What? Just real quick. So Hyuga, Ayoba, and Ibuki, they're the three characters who are, they're, they're like, they're the technicians Yeah, they're always the like center. nervously shouting things across like, you know, his readings are over <laughs> this, then the other thing, and we need to move this and move to DEFCON, whatever. But, like, they don't actually get any other speak. We don't know anything else about them other than the fact that they are, you know, meant to be. They're lowly and busy. Exactly. And they don't have rank. <laughs> exactly. they, they are the lowest ranking people on the scene at all. Time. Yeah. They don't get to have any embellishments on their uniforms, basically. Right. They just wear beige. <laughs> they just wear beige. They wear the Sears catalog uniforms. They wear beige and look nervous. That's it. That's all they do. Yes. And I love them. I love all three of them, especially Ibuki. Um, but yeah, it's in in the still darkness is all of these characters running around like it's laundry day. That's the energy yeah. of it. It's it's Ritsuko 
Ritsko and Ibuki run into Fiyutsuki on the train in the morning, and Fiyutsuki's just reading the newspaper like an old-ass man, because that's he, he is, is an, an old-ass old man. man, in fact. <laughs> um, and he's just, he's talking about, uh, I forget, why do they talk about the Magi system? I can't remember, in I that, can't remember exactly. It doesn't, the thing is that it doesn't matter why they're talking about the city's dependence on the Magi system, because mm-hmm. the the episode is like, Although it is about, you know, like an imminent, some sort of looming imminent danger that we won't be able to deal with. It's more so about like our, as in like, you know, like the royal we, our dependence on technology. And right. Yeah. And it is. Right. um, Yeah. I mean, like just kind of like, you know, the, the usual shit about, uh, can you find your way to this address without using Google Maps? Or, you know, like, mm, can you do yeah. whatever, whatever? Like, can you actually remember any phone, any of your friends' phone numbers? Or do you just have Siri call them for you? You know, it's it's those <laughs> kinds of things are right, being dealt right. with but in Fusky, this episode. And at the top, Fusky establishes that the Magi system, so the big supercomputer uh, system that's housed uh, at Nerve in the Geofront, Fuski establishes that not only does the Magi system serve Nerve, it actually runs Tokyo 3. Even, even the city government is basically just sort of a, a rubber stamp for a bunch of processes that are automated by the Magi system. And certainly, yeah, that level of reliance on outsourcing the act of governance to a supercomputer you know, I can't imagine anything going wrong with that, right? Like that seems that seems it like seems, human achievement. That's what we've always been driving toward, right? Yeah, you know, just it seems this it seems, seems stable fine. and fine. Seems great. You know, not mm-hmm. precarious at all. So you have all these characters above ground doing their laundry and all that bullshit. Meanwhile, the people who are actually at work, <laughs> such as Ritsuko and Kaji and Masato, they're all at Nerve HQ. Masato and Kaji run into each other in yet another elevator. Um, you have a moment where Shinji, who's above ground, calls Gendo in his office. It's this weird moment where Shinji is calling Gendo and... To talk about nothing once, in particular. Yeah, he's trying to do the like, mm, what if I did talk to my father <laughs> thing? And he calls his dad and he's trying to talk to Gendo about school. And Gendo's confused. He's like, are you calling me to talk about school? Like, isn't Masato your mom? <laughs> He's just like, and he literally, he literally says, <laughs> don't waste my time with this shit and hangs up on him. He says, stop. He says, stop patching calls through to my office like this. <laughs> He's like so bewildered by the idea of his son calling to talk about school. This relationship sucks. <laughs> it sucks, man. Um, but it's all of these sort of these these moments in the life of these characters who are kind of just in a in a in a restful. They're sort of between. It feels very in between angel battles where all these characters are, are running errands and doing all of the awkward life shit that you do when you're not saving the world. Um, but after Gendo hangs up on his son, uh, suddenly there's a blackout at Nerve, and there's a blackout all throughout the city. And this creates this creates a set of complications. One, Shinji, Asuka, Rei, and Hyuga, they're all stuck in the city. They're all stuck above ground. And Masato and Kaji are stuck in their elevator together, 
Um, they're the only two people in their elevator. And yeah, this is the, the blackout immediately strikes Gendo and also Masato and Kaji are stuck in their elevator together. And Kaji and also Gendo both immediately suspect that there's some sort of sabotage that created this power blackout. And further underscoring the sense that there has to be some sabotage at play is the fact that an angel attacks in the middle of this power blackout. Matariel is the name of the angel. Um, it is a giant daddy long legs with a bunch of eyes that cry acid. Yeah, its eyes are on its belly, basically. So it's it's sort of staring at the ground and it, you say crying, I call it weeping. It's everything about the visual presentation because it has these very psychedelic looking eyes. They're very humanoid eyes, but they're orange and pink and teal. And it has this purple liquid that just eats through the ground as it walks. Um, and, but the problem obviously is that there's a blackout and all of the communications are down. It's not just like uh, the main functions at Nerve are down. Like they can't even get the phones to work. And so Matariel attacks Tokyo 3, but the only person who can really see it is Hugo, who's stuck above ground. And his first instinct is, oh shit, uh, the power in the city's out. I'm, I need to go run. <laughs> he needs to run to headquarters, basically. He needs to run to a subterranean secret compound also, <laughs> to tell his colleagues that an angel is attacking. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just like, you also have to know that, like, up to this point, They've had the they they've had the magi to not only identify when an angel attack is happening at a long like from range, but also to do initial analysis on it to tell you basically where its weak points are, like what the plan of right. attack should be. And there's none of that this time around. They're just doing this by hand. It's like the day. Oh, it's like the day in geometry where your teacher decides to get cute and make you do work without a calculator. That's what this whole episode is. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, they take the T89, T, what is it, the TI-89? Yeah, they're just like, nah, nah, nah. Today y'all are doing mental math. Mental math. <laughs> You're doing mental math today. <laughs> um, so there's no Magi system up and running, specifically because there's no power to power the Magi system. So you got Hugo running to headquarters. He's basically like uh, Paul Revere. He's doing a Paul Revere type situation where he's just running through the streets yelling about the angel <laughs> and alerting people. And at one point, he actually runs past Shinji, Asuka, and Ray, who are leading a long march uh, to headquarters as well. They're sort of fumbling through the security systems and climbing through ducts and shit like that in order to figure out how to even get to the command center. The fact that they're able to get to the command center really just, this is another moment where I We're just like, okay, well, exactly. Defenses. What is there, like, what is the, what are the, what's the protocol if I could just walk there and just go in the front door? Yeah, they have to, they have to shove some doors open along the way and they have to crawl through some tight spaces. Uh, but otherwise, yeah, Huga and the pilots all very slowly, uh, very sweatily make their way back to Nerve HQ. And while, you know, while they're en route, they're they're not really sure what's going to happen when they even get there. But Gendo, of course, has ordered 
the staff that is in the command center to manually launch the Evangelion units or really to manually prepare them. So normally a lot of the sequence where you're you're putting the entry plug in, you're putting them on the platform, you're launching the Evangelion units to a particular point in the city. All of it is super snappy and automated, but because there's no power, he basically has everybody. There's just like a system like a of police. System. Yeah, exactly. Yes. When they're just like, oh, this is the way that they built Stonehenge is that they just took a bunch of yes. tree trunks and put them one in front of the other and rolled it they into place. They are building the pyramids. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> they're, um, but they're doing this without the pilots. And when Shinji, Ray, and Asuka finally arrive, uh, their interest is kind of spectacular because they, they're crawling through one of the air ducts. Shinji, Asuka, and Rei have sort of been fighting about who is in charge of the group because like, necessarily Asuka has decided to turn their march back to HQ into a, an I'm in charge ordeal. <laughs> uh, she almost gets them killed at one point because they run into, they accidentally take uh, they take a detour that leads them back outside and they run directly into the angel. <laughs> um, and uh, Asuka's just like, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going and don't think that I don't. She swings the door open. Angel's right there. She screams, closes, closes it immediately and goes, well, I've successfully established first contact with the angel. <laughs> <laughs> but they finally make it back to HQ and all every single man, woman, and child employed by Nerve who is in the command center is crawling all over the Evangelion unit, units manually doing the checks for their launch. And Shinji is kind of amazed. And, uh, you know, Ritsuko explains, you know, Commander Akari had faith that you'd make it in time. And so we prepared. Um, and there's this shot of in, of Shinji looking at Gendo. And Gendo is... It's this very man of the people shot where everyone else is pulling, you know, everyone's pulling all these pulleys and they're getting everything into place. And Gendo himself is doing this backbreaking manual labor to make sure that the Evangelion entry plug is ready for the pilots to get in. And it's one of those brief moments where Shinji looks upon his father in an admiring way and the viewer can actually marginally admire Gendo. Um for his contributions to saving humanity in this particular moment. Um, yeah, you're just like, it's one of those moments where it's like, oh, maybe he's not 100% bad. Maybe just 97%. 97%. But still, in in the shot, he's not a cold, useless bureaucrat. Uh, he is a man of the people. After, uh, you know, some some jostling about who the captain of the team is, Asuka is the <laughs> one that comes up with the plan. One of us is going to have to be cover. The other one is going to have to be support because uh, you're going to have to go down to the bottom of the shaft and get the pallet right, get the pallet gun. And then one of us is going to position ourselves. The one on the bottom is going to throw the pallet gun up to them, and you're going to shoot up at Matario and kill him. Um, and it comes down to Oscar saying, "You know what? I am going to." be the one to take the acid to the face or sorry actually to the back the L. yeah i'm going to take the l so that will me and you shinji will be even for you rescuing rescuing me from the volcano which happened in the previous episode you'll recall so from that plan they the the three pilots actually pull this maneuver off in a very fluid badass motion where unit 2 
throws itself in the the middle of the chute. The acid drips all over Unit 2, and beneath Unit 2, Unit 0 throws the pallet gun up to Unit 1, and Shinji takes aim. Unit 2 gets out of the way. Shinji has this clean, direct shot, shoots up, just lets the whole clip go. <laughs> lets the whole Bring clip dang, go. Dang, dang, on his little V shit. Right into Matariel's eye, and Matariel just collapses. All of its stupid daddy long legs just collapse. The thing is dead. It's over. So Asuka's plan works. Her little gesture at teamwork and self-sacrifice actually worked. Congrats for Asuka. Thus concludes In the Still Darkness. This is the first time that they, that that uh, Shinji, Asuka, and Rei have all been deployed together. It wasn't under the best circumstances. And it went off relatively without hitches. I mean, like, there were a lot of hitches, but I mean, like, it, it, they pulled it off. It was successful. And uh, the final shot of the episode is the three of them sharing each other's company, like, you know, without, with, with, with minimal conflict uh, overlooking the city at night. It's very nice. It's very, very reassuring. Yeah, this episode's interesting because it is one of the, I'd say it's one of the few episodes that has a very idealized outlook on teamwork down to its even glorifying Gendo's contribution to the mission. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's a very teamwork makes the dream work episode. Everyone has skin in, yeah, and everyone has skin in the game. Yeah. Everyone, beca- because everyone, because Nerve is at a, a a pronounced disadvantage, everyone has skin in the game in this mission. Everyone looks kind of ridiculous. Like, there's a great shot during the blackout in the command center where um, Gendo and Fuyutsuki are at the big intimidating <laughs> oh, yeah. command desk. And they're just like, in the, the, air, the <laughs> AC, doing the, normal- the AC is not working and everybody is, you know, like sweating bullets. Yeah. And they're all just like, oh, like, look at, look at, you know, ice cold Gendo and Fuyutsuki just standing there as they usually do. And they're at that giant desk of theirs. <laughs> And Gendo's sitting there with his fingers crossed, just like, yes, this, again, doing his yes, this is all going very poorly, like, typeface thing. <laughs> just looking unfazed, but then they pan down underneath the desk, and his his pants are rolled up to the knee, and he's got his feet in a bucket of ice water. <laughs> Fuyutsuki says to him, because Fuyutsuki's also standing in a bucket, in a similar bucket, and Fuyutsuki says, the water is lukewarm, and Gendo says, Yes. It's <laughs> great. It's interesting that the romanticization of teamwork happens in an episode where technology is severely de-emphasized, um, with the exception of the Ava units themselves. Like, they are the ultimate technological achievement. And they, you know, once the pilots are in them, they function as normal. But before that, it's it's very pronounced, this idea that these people are at their best under shitty circumstances, but also under circumstances where they can't just fall back on science and technological progress as the thing that will make all of their lives easier. Next up is A Miracle's Worth, where we get our second substantive pre-series flashback. Characters keep talking about second impact. The teacher at school talks about it. Ritsuko gives an alternative account of it. And this episode begins with a flashback to Second Impact itself. Um, And we see Masato, but we see young Masato. We see a little girl who is Masato Katsuragi. 
And we see that the young Masato is covered in blood all over her face. There's blood. She's banged up. Uh, she is in a... There's like wind and shit happening. There's just clearly a cataclysmic event happening all around her. And we see Masato's father load her into a capsule, which he then sets adrift into the ocean. And we also see what appears to be an angel. We see uh, a glowing white giant, which happens to have a contour not unlike the contour of the Evangelion units. Um, but we, we don't really get to see the details of the angel's skin or anything like that because it's, it's just pure white light. And the capsule that we've seen Masato loaded into is adrift at sea and Masato opens the capsule and, and stands and looks out and can see the angel from the ocean and the angel is shrieking and the angel has this very ugly, I would say pained cry that it lets out. And then the flashback ends and we cut directly to Masato in her, in her darkened bedroom, getting ready for work, putting her bra on. We see a cut to the scar across her chest and we see a cut to her necklace. Uh, she has a Greek cross necklace that she always wears and the camera lingers on her necklace on her nightstand. And we get the title card. After the title card, we're in a much happier shot of the apartment, of Masada's apartment. And Kensuke and Toji are around. And I think they're on the way to school, right? And Kensuke very quickly notices uh, on Masato's jacket, jacket collar, he notices her insignia. And he notices that Masato's insignia is different. And he congratulates her because he recognizes that her insignia means that she's been promoted from captain to major. So now we have Major Masato Katsuragi. Later on, we see the pilots and Masato and Ritz go together uh, in the command center. Uh, they're doing testing with all of the pilots. And Ritz notes that Shinji's synchronization ratio with Unit 1 is actually quite impressive and, in fact, rivals Asuka's synchronization ratio with her Ava unit. The synchronization ratios are, they're a measure of how sort of viscerally connected to the Evangelion unit the pilot is. They also kind of double, uh, like, functionally, like, within, the, narratively, they, they function to kind of describe the mental and emotional state of whichever pilot they're talking about the sync ratio for. Asuka kind of takes Shinji's improvement week over week as like a personal affront. Um, yeah. Like it's yeah. like Ritsuko being like, you know, uh, he's advanced thus far um, in just a week as, and you know, like acknowledging it as special and Asuka's just like, it's not special. It's not even noteworthy. <laughs> Asuka is the sort of person who can make a development in anyone's life, especially any positive developments in anyone's life, to be about her and a personal offense to her. Yeah, it's just like, you are bettering yourself to spite me. I know it. I know it. 
She, yeah, she's one of those people who has a personal nemesis. Like she has a secret nemesis. She's that kind of person. Uh, she's she's out of control. Um, so you have Kensuke, dear Kensuke, throw a party for Masato to celebrate Masato's promotion. It's so cute. It's very cute. Uh, and you have it, it's funny now because this is a proper ensemble show now. Now that we've met Asuka, now that we've met Kaji. Now you could have, like before it was just, a party was if Ritsuko came over to have dinner with Shinji and Masato. But now a party is Toji comes over, Kensuke comes over. You have Hikari, the class rep, uh, who, is, who has befriended Asuka and who does not like <laughs> Toji and Kensuke. She comes over. Asuka comes over. Rei comes You have all of these characters in Masato's apartment. And Shinji actually... Shinji finds this overwhelming. <laughs> Shinji finds the idea of more than eight people being in the apartment at one time to be... And, and at one point, Kaji and Ritsuko also join this party for Masato. And, Ken, and Shinji quietly is kind of simmering. And Masato turns to him during this party that Kensuke has thrown for her. What's wrong with you? And she's like... <laughs> she's like you're not comfortable, are you? You seem you seem a little tense, bud. What's going on? And Shinji's like, yeah, man, I just... He says something like... He goes, no, he says... deal well with crowds. He says, yeah, he <laughs> says, I don't deal well with crowds, which, I mean, like, if you think crowd, crowd is eight people, then get, get ready, buddy. Life is going to get much harder than that. But he goes... Wait till you go to the club. Yeah, wait till you go to the club. Thing is, like, also, he's just... He says, I don't know why everybody has to carry on and get worked up like this. And it's just like... He's <laughs> just like... He is Shinji is just not about the Rei Tete. Um, and it is <laughs> very uh he just doesn't know what to do with himself in these situations. And they He wants to listen to Dave Matthews band he, in his room. He just why can't we Walkman. just why I can't why are we all carrying on? Why can't we just, you know, drink seltzer water, listen to some music with a message and you know, like Maybe you know talk about talk about conversate talk about things that actually matter in the world. You know, like what about separating our recyclables? And it's just like he's he's just essentially is just that guy at the party. Um, and he also, in fairness, knows he's going to have to be the person who cleans up. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Leaves, he knows that he's going to have to clean everything up. I mean, like that cannot be a non-zero factor in this. But also. Yeah. Um, he takes this this quick aside to kind of ask Masato why she seems kind of bummed out because it's just like yeah, it's not even it's bummed out. It's like part bummed out, but she also just seems a little. It's like oh, you got a promotion. We're throwing a party for you, and she seems sort of exceedingly modest about everything. Yeah, yeah, it. yeah. Exce and Shinji is like, well, what's why aren't you why aren't you happy? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> <laughs> And Masato is like, damn, I mean, real. <laughs> but, no, I, mean, <laughs> I mean, Masato in that moment, it's, it's just funny because Masato is so used to being the person who's like, oh, I have an emotional read on you. Aren't I so perceptive? But in this particular moment, Shinji very quickly turns the table on Masato and is like, you don't, you actually don't seem that happy either. And Masato kind of has to explore that thought for a while. And she's sort of like, well, you know, I mean, it's a job, and I guess I like getting praise, and it's nice to get a promotion. And Shinji, it, it, at this point, uh, is just kind of like, well, 
Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just go ahead and ask you, like, why do you even work at Nerve? And, and you know, then Masato gets cheery again. She's just like, oh, it was so long ago. I guess I just forgot. Which is just the wall going back up. Right. And keep in mind that Masato is a character who several episodes ago was shouting at Shinji Akari for not having good enough reasons for piloting the Ava. But then Shinji really calmly in this episode asks her, why do you work at Nerve? And she she can't say. She just she literally cannot say. During the festivities for Masato, we we learn that Gendo and Fuyutsuki are off on a field trip together to the South Pole. While they're at the South Pole, Gendo and Fuyutsuki are having tons of cryptic conversations about the apocalypse and things of that nature. <laughs> um, this ends up being one of the first substantial philosophical exchanges between Fuyutsuki and Gendo. And they're talking about Second Impact and they're really just sort of reflecting on the sad, shitty state that humanity is in. While sailing through the boneyards of its, like, greatest misstep. Yeah, and, like, we see the South Pole, and, you know, the South Pole now is white and snowy and harsh in its own way, but it's white and snowy and cold. But this is a post-apocalyptic world where climate is so radically altered that Masato Katsuragi has a pet penguin. And the South, the South Pole is a sea of blood. It just looks very tropical and, and fucked up. And there's just... I think that we haven't noted on is that, like, the, the, the result of this, like, global cataclysm is that, like, it's just eternally summertime. Climate's all fucked up, which is true in real life. Wow. Ava predicted reality. <laughs> just another way in which Ava predicted everything. But Fuyutsuki and Gendo have this conversation. And Fuyutsuki's talking about Second Impact, and he's hinting at the idea that Nerve itself uh, had a role in Second Impact, and that scientific inquiry itself had a role in Second Impact. And he says, it was far too severe a punishment. If this isn't a sea of the dead, then what is? And Gendo, Gendo in his dark-ass way, actually kind of revels in the South Pole in this moment. And he says, at least it's a pristine world, untainted by original sin. And Fuyutsuki shoots back, I prefer a world inhabited by man, even if they are sinful. And I don't know, it's like one of these darker moments where Gendo is getting a little too nihilistic for somebody who is in charge of the mission to save humanity. Um... And it's almost like the last trace of Gendo's humanity is Fuyutsuki himself. Fuyutsuki's like stoic in his own way, but he he certainly in a conversation like this has more conventional traces of humanity. Whereas Gendo is the one of the two of them who seems a little too far gone and also a little too far up his own ass, which is unfortunate because an angel attacks while they're gone. The angel is Sahakiel. Micah, I think you're the only person who can describe this angel. This angel is in space. That that's the the first innovation of Sahakiel is that yeah, it's not it just, even on Earth it yet. It is arrives in space. In space. Yeah. I think the best way to describe Sahakiel is like a weighted blanket pocked full of eyes. Yeah, it has the if you remember the eyes from the spider in the previous episode, it has eyes like that. They're these psychedelic eyes. They're very Technicolor dream coat eyes. 
but the shape is just very di- it's not a spider obviously it looks like a it's like a belt it's like a yellow belt <laughs> in the sky <laughs> it's just a belt i don't know it looks like if it's like if you stretched out some silly putty it looks it looks to form like a belt it looks like if you flattened a Tostitos pizza roll. Oh yes, okay. If you yeah, if you if you stepped on it, and then you know also put some of those like Hobby Lobby like googly eyes on it. That's what the that's wow. what this thing looks yes. like. Yes, you stretched out that cheese from that pizza roll. <laughs> you put some crafts. You put some arts and crafts googly eyes into it. Uh, and, and you got Sakyo. You know, it's you have Sakya. Yeah. And uh, its plan is to um launch itself from space and crater into Nerve HQ. Yeah, and we said its main innovation was being in space, which I mean congrats on being in space. But uh its other innovation is that it can break off parts of itself and it sort of throws little pieces of itself toward the earth uh, as a sort of accuracy mechanism like it's throwing little pieces and it's getting closer and closer to Tokyo 3 where it's trying to gauge exactly how it needs to orient its whole body to land on Tokyo 3 and Ritsuko at one point describes this as um, the force of the pieces of its body are really it breaking off pieces of its AT field and so this is this is one of the first angels where we learn that the AT field isn't just a purely defensive mechanism. And it's not just to be understood as uh, that orange glowing octagon. It can be sort of, it's malleable. The AT field is malleable. And if you get creative with it, you can use it offensively. You can use it in this case as a projectile to, to cause damage. But in this particular case, once Sahakiel gets its aim on Tokyo 3 perfectly calibrated, it intends to throw its entire body from space onto the city. So it's like a bomb. It's basically yeah, like it's a, basically, guided, it's like it's a like, slow falling bomb. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah. It's very slow. This is a very slow angel. It's just, its whole thing is It doesn't really being do anything other than fall from space. Yeah, it's, it's, just, it's, it's just a bomb is all it is. Right. There's a general panic at Nerve. And Nerve decides, okay, in this particular case, we have to evacuate the city. So they're not just doing the Tokyo 3 withdrawals underground and everybody goes to the, their normal shelters. They actually, they give an evacuation order. Um, and Ritsuko even starts backing up the Magi system. And she's like, look, we might all die. Everything might get blown up. We could easily lose this battle because we're, we're basically just fighting gravity. Like, how do we, how do we stop this thing from hitting the ground? If it hits the ground, it's a wrap. And so Masato, after evacuating the city and backing up the Magi, devises a plan. And her big smart plan is, I'm going to use the Avis to catch it. Let's just let's just do that. That that, that seems gotcha. like a that's, yes. that seems like a great idea. Um, and she presents this plan to the children. Specifically, Masato wants all three Evangelion units to spread their AT fields simultaneously to create basically like a giant AT field blanket to brace the angel's impact, as opposed to it falling on the ground. And so, basically, the idea is if the angel falls to earth but instead lands on the Ava unit's AT fields and blows up, then 
the AT fields will absorb all of the impact that would have otherwise destroyed Tokyo 3. And we should say that Ritsuko Akagi fucking hates this plan. Exactly. She says she, like she specifies that this plan has like a 0.00001% chance of working. According which, to my calculations. According to my calculations, this plan has basically close to, like it's a basically 0% chance of working. And then the next scene when she's, when Masato's running it down to uh, Shinji, Rei, and Asuka, she's just like, they, they ask specifically, what are the chances of this plan working? I don't know. Um, I don't know what the plan, the, the chance of this plan working are, but I will take you out for a steak dinner if you do it. Also, you guys probably should, you know, like sort out your affairs. Maybe, maybe do some yeah. wills. Yeah. Um, and each, each one of them steps up and they're just like, I don't really need a will. Masato offers them this steak dinner if the mission succeeds. Shinji's like, oh, oh, great. <laughs> Asuka's like, deal, I'm holding you to this. And then, you know, Masato leaves and it's just, it's just Shinji, Rei, and Asuka. And they all look at each other and they're like, can we agree that that's like a really lame, like a steak dinner is a really lame, we might die and we might get a steak dinner if we don't die. Uh, and it's this moment where you sort of realize like how much Asuka and Shinji are just kind of humoring Masato. Um, like, it's like sometimes it feels like Masato is pretending to be a mother, pretending to be a parent. But this scene is one of the rare moments where you see the other side of that, where Shinji and Asuka are really just pretending to be kids. Asuka is, 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 is the one that's particularly insulted by it. Shinji is just like, you know, well, I'm really just saying whatever to make this easier for Masato to, to basically helm this mission, which is, I mean, it can't really be easy for her either. Yeah, but Shin Shinji specifically says uh, a steak dinner reward is pretty typical of Masato. Yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah, Asuka can't let it go, though. Yeah. And then Ray takes the opportunity to be like, um, even if we don't die, by the way, I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> it's just like, I'm not coming with y'all. <laughs> I won't be there with you in any case. Um, this mission, more so than the others, is framed as, you know... This could really be our last hurrah. We we really might all die. They're gonna they got the they got the death row dinner set up. Um, you know the the nominal chances of success. And there's this scene where all three of the pilots are in their plug suits riding their elevators up to the platform, and Shinji asks Asuka, "Hey, you know, like, why do you why why do you why do you pilot an Ava?" And Asuka says, "So the world can witness my extraordinary talents, dummy." And Shinji is just like, so you, you do it so you can be seen? And Asuka is kind of taken aback by that. She's just like, well, yeah, something like that. And this is a question of why do you pilot an Ava? Why do you work at Nerve? Uh, these questions are meant to be interchangeable with whatever, like in your daily life. I guess for us, it would be like, why do you write? Why do you go into work every day? Why do you get up in the morning? Like, what's your reason? And it's a thing that keeps coming back um, later later on. Well, from now until the even end in of the this series. episode. Yeah, even in this episode. Yeah, even in this episode, because they, so they go out, the pilots, uh, this is another mission where Rei, Asuka, and Shinji all deploy together. And they, they basically start out in different points of the city um, and they are sprinting. The sort of, the, the action sequence, the action energy of, of this particular angel fight is 
all three pilots are sprinting toward the calculated point of impact for the angel hitting the ground. And it turns out that the angel is going to fall like pretty close to the city, but at the top of a hill. Um, and so their goal is to sprint there as fast as they can, position themselves under the angel, spread their AT fields out, <laughs> and then just stab the angel and hope <laughs> it blows up and doesn't actually <laughs> touch the ground as it explodes. And so, yeah, they, they rip across the city. All three of them meet under the angel. The Evangelion unit stab the angel in its largest central eye, and it blows up. And it does, in fact, leave a giant hole in the ground, but they have otherwise managed to contain the impact, and Tokyo 3 is spared. The pilots are all heroes. Uh, like we said before, this is a mission where it's very firmly established that they probably weren't going to succeed. And remember that Gendo and Fuyutsuki are off at the South Pole, and they actually call Nerve HQ and Masato Masato expects to be chewed out because even though even though the pilot succeeded, you know, the angel still exploded. It did cause some it caused some lasting property damage of some sort. And instead Gendo's like, nah, that shit was fine. Like you did a pretty great job, honestly. <laughs> um and Gendo says, is is the he doesn't even say is Shinji. Yeah, he says, says is, is, the, is the pilot of, of unit, unit one. <laughs> is he present? Is he present? Is the pilot of unit one present? So he's just like, uh, um, yes. Yes. And Gendo tells Shinji, good work. And it's very brief, but it's this very unambiguously, like there's no angst about it. Gendo is like, no, for real, you did a great job today. Thank you. Yeah, it's just like, yo, I saw you representing out there. Good work. Yeah, good work, good work, good hustle. Uh, and Shinji just kind of marinates in that. And so all the pilots survive. They're trying to get that steak dinner. Asuka is trying to find the most expensive steak restaurant in Tokyo 3. And and Masato starts sweating and is like, okay, but actually payday is like, payday is actually a couple days from now. I don't know if my money is, I might have to look at my checking account balance and see what the overdraft policy is. And Asuka's like, oh, relax, lady. All right, okay, we can, you know what? Ray doesn't even eat meat. Let's go out for ramen. Uh, so they all go out to dinner. They accommodate Ray, which is very nice of them. And they talk some more. They talk some more about why they do what they do. And Shinji is thinking back on his father telling him good work after the mission. And he sort of volunteers to the group. He says, you know, I think part of the reason I pilot the Ava is because I, I like that feeling. I like that feeling of my father telling me that I did a good job. And it's this moment where Shinji acknowledges that he does like praise. Praise feels good. It is good to do a good job and hear praise, especially when that praise comes from your cold, detached, withholding, deadbeat dad. Asuka's like, you fucking moron. That's why you pilot the Ava. You don't do it for like a larger acclaim that you're just trying to impress your dad. And Asuka thinks that's stupid. Asuka thinks that doing it just to impress your dad is stupid. Even though Asuka's, Asuka's own reason for piloting the Ava is also for praise, she just clearly wants praise from everyone, the like, world, everyone. Right. Yeah, she's it's just a, a difference she just of scale, wants to be but adored. she doesn't recognize. Yeah, exactly. Right. She wants to be universally adored. Shinji is mainly seeking the praise of one person, his father, 
And Asuka just thinks that those are two totally different things because Asuka has the insight of a 14-year-old. In a moment right before the mission commences, Masato actually follows up with Shinji uh, to answer Shinji's question to her about why she works for Nerve. And she talks a little bit about her dad, who was a, a scientist. And she talks about her parents. She talks about her parents' divorce. And she talks about her father's commitment to his scientific research, which is presumably related to Second Impact. And Masato, Masato has a very ambivalent recollection of her father. And she even says that she hated her father. She says he couldn't be bothered to be with his family. He was a weak-hearted man who couldn't stomach reality, a man who was practically a child. Um, but she has to reconcile that with the fact that she also clearly recalls her father spending his last moments on Earth saving her, protecting her, setting her out to sea so that she would grow up to become the, the person that she is today. And, you know, that's, that's how we, the viewer, first see Masato's father, Dr. Katsuragi, is in this moment of altruism. But we're otherwise meant to, to hear Masato's description of her own father and see a similarity to Shinji Akari's father? Essentially, at this point in Shinji and Masato's relationship, they have the fullest understanding of each other that they've had um, so far. Like, they're just like, wow, your dad sucked, my dad sucked, we're both fucked up, great, we're in this together. All right, so if a miracle's worth is mostly about uh, the relationship between Masato and her late father, Dr. Katsuragi, Angel Infiltration, this next episode, is largely about Ritsuko and her mother, the late Dr. Naoko Akagi. This is another episode that's kind of like the blackout episode, where there is a malfunction with the Magi system. It's very subtle at first. Aoba and Fuski have this side conversation where they're talking about a weird aberration in the system. I think Aoba describes it as a stain in one of the protein walls related to the Magi supercomputer. And they're in the command center. Fuyutsuki's examining this stain in the protein wall. And Nerve quickly identifies the stain as an angel. The next thing it does is that this, this giant, this, this big sparkling chiffon scarf of nanomachines uh, hijacks first unit zero um, and then unit one and then dummy all it hijacks all the dummy units and ejects the entry plugs and begins to break free of the restraints and everybody in the command center is thrown into panic mode it's sort of rendered as a virus and it operates as a it's like a hacker it's like if a, a late 90s computer hacker just got into your shit <laughs> started corrupting all your files um and yeah they're they're freaking out this thing is spreading like wildfire. They try to don't they try to flood the they try to flood the testing chamber at one point with ozone. Well, yeah, they they make some weird scientific calculation that the thing is allergic to ozone. Yeah, there's not there's I mean it's it's again another one of those things that's explained with very flimsy biology. So it seems like the main risk is oh this thing is going to take over an Evangelion unit, and Ritsko is trying to stop the spread and it's not working. But you quickly realize that that's, the Ava is not really what Iraeul is after. Because Iraeul ends up spreading to the Magi system. 
And that's when you see this this curious interaction happen between Gendo and Fuyutsuki, where Gendo is like, oh, no, 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 no. This thing, nope, it's in the Magi system. Mm, it's getting a little too close to Adam. And we haven't talked a lot about Adam, but Adam is Gendo and Fuyutsuki's hidden asset. While this angel nanovirus is eating through all the, well, going through all the files and up on the screen, all these names are popping up. You get the sense that whatever Adam is, it's buried deep within Nerve. And also that not a lot of staff are read into who or what Adam even is, and that even information relating to Adam is itself incriminating. And so another thing that happens in this moment is Gendo issues an order from the desk, and he says, turn off the alarm. And they're like, yes, sir. And they turn off the alarm. And Gendo says, listen, for all intents and purposes, the angel alarm that just went off, you didn't hear it. It was a false alarm. We're not reporting this as an angel attack. So from immediately from this point, once once the angel breaks into the Magi system, Gendo starts to do some backpedaling and he starts to launch a cover-up. But in the midst of this cover-up, they still have to figure out how to fight this angel, how to contain its spread, how to defeat it. We have Ariel eating through the Magi system and Ritsuko with, you know, a deft keystroke manages to stall it for an hour or two. Back in Gendo's office, Ritsuko, Misato, Futsuki, and Gendo are coming up with a plan, like their final solution to stop this thing. And Misato proposes to, well, it's got its fingers into everything and it's, you know, wrapped around the Magi system. Why don't we just torpedo the whole thing? Ritsuko is like, no. Absolutely not. We're not doing that. That's tantamount to destroying HQ and abandoning it. So she comes up with a plan to booby trap the very last processor in the computer um, and just allow the nanovirus into it so that they can basically cause it to self-destruct. Ritzko's core observation is that, listen, this virus is super adaptive. It's evolving at an exponential rate. It became a computer halfway through its attack. Right. It went from being a computer virus to becoming a computer itself. And so Ritzko is saying, well, the thing is evolving so rapidly that we can at least try to take advantage of its rapid evolution to try to get it to evolve in the wrong direction. Right. To get it to evolve toward a self-destructive Yeah, and it's just like this great moment where they're, they are having this really terse conversation using all these really ornate and very specific terms, and then Gendo, with his hand in his pocket, uses the other hand, pushes out the bridge of his glasses and says, yes, the final stage of evolution is death. <laughs> so it's just like, let's gently nudge this thing in that direction. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, this is mostly the rest of this episode is a, a hacking sequence. <laughs> um, well, it, the mat, we, we actually physically see the Magi system for the first time. And it's it's some real like the t- the tubing of pipes. it is like the, it just looks very either like the pipes are all this kind of dark red purplish color. And it looks it comes up from the ground and it seems like it's either like lobes or like intestines. And it's yeah, it feels like inte- right. It's like if you took the texture of a brain and combined it with the texture of an intestinal tract, and it just looks like gross metal wire 
Splooge. <laughs> Splooge is an appropriate word. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing is that like they it, it there's an there's an open crawl space that like uh that Ritsuko goes into and you see all of these Masato follows her. She in follows her. her in. She's trying to help. By, yeah, like, she's her exactly. She's just like, I want to help. Like Masato, effectively at this point, is the person that has to go get what, go get the hot water during the pregnancy. <laughs> like so, she's just there talking and just distracting people. And as as Ritsuko crawls through the crawl space, you see the walls lined with all of these post-it notes um, for you know like backdoor hacks into the system written in her own mother's handwriting and they're all from her mom they're all left there but it's like hundreds and hundreds hundreds of, of them all left by her mom and on one of the walls is this really close grouping of like a lot of post-it notes and you know superimposed over them are these really hard sharpie lines just like fuck you gendo akari <laughs> which is also pretty great um yeah but then you see the heart of the magi system is um, this kind of like oil tank tube thing that uh, Ritsuko cuts open with a miter saw. Yeah. And there is a literal brain inside of it. Yeah, she's doing phrenology and shit at this point. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, th- it, it's weird because it looks like a human brain installed as the brain of this mechanical system. But yeah, she starts plugging in. It looks like she's doing surgery at that point. She goes to being a medical doctor during this part yeah. of the Magi system. It's fake science. It's fake. Listen, it is absolutely. It is Ritsuko is doing fake science. <laughs> she's performing fake surgery on a fake brain to defeat the angel. It's good. It's all good. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the, what you need to understand about the Magi from this part of, 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 of this episode is that the core is comprised of three parts and it is you, the brain is literally like, this is Ritsuko sitting inside of her mother essentially. And the core is comprised of three parts and it is uh, Naoko Kagi as a mother, as a scientist and as a woman. And these are the three. And you, you see an early, you, you see in an early episode where Gendo and Fusuki asked Masato about a plan of hers, uh, the long distance sniper shot. They asked about the chances of success and say, what does the mage I say? She says, uh, two approvals and one conditional approval. And the three decisions that are passed down come from these three entities, uh, uh, Dr. Akagi as the mother, the scientist and the woman. That framing is like the most sentimental Ritsuko will ever get, by the mm-hmm. way, like referring to a computer as a woman and a scientist and a mother. Otherwise a very cold character, but yes, this is this whole sequence is basically Ritsuko engaging um in a way that's less direct than Masato engages with the memory of her father. Ritsuko engaging with the legacy of her mother and like on the one hand Ritsuko is her mom's successor. I feel like a lot of this sequence sort of emphasizes that Ritsuko doesn't totally understand. She largely understands her mother, but she had a complicated relationship with the mother and she's in the footsteps of giants here. And she she's not totally equipped, but she's going to make it work this time because somebody's got to defeat the angel. And it's not like any of the Evangelion pilots can attack a computer virus. <laughs> and so, indeed... Ritsuko, in a last-ditch effort, manages to purge Ireo from the mainframe. She thus earns the distinction, actually, in the series of being the 
only character who is not an Evangelion pilot who defeats an angel. Congratulations, Ritsuko Akagi. I think listeners of this podcast have already detected that I hate this character a little bit, but, <laughs> but, but we give credit where it's due on this podcast. Congrats, Ritsuko. She did that shit. Your stupid plan worked. You beat the nano machine. Your science is still fake. You have earned the title. Your website of Big is boss. still trash. <laughs> but you did. But you defeated an angel all all on your ones. There's a point in this episode where Masato is remarking on the fact that they are fighting a nano machine's angel, where Masato is like, "I give up. Like, what the fuck are these things? <laughs> what the fuck are we? What are we fighting? I don't get this." Uh, and yeah, this is this is sort of another. Even obviously, the whole Ritsuko's whole plan relies on turning the whole idea of evolution against the angel. But in the in the the larger the larger lineage of the angels, Ireol represents another evolutionary leap um, because this angel is intelligent, right? It's intelligent in a way that, like, remember the sniper angel? Like the sniper angel was intelligent because it did more than just thrash around and yell. Mm-hmm. But this angel is intelligent because it was like, what if we just hack the computer? <laughs> and and it's smart enough that this is the angel where Gendo goes, oh no, we gotta we gotta stop this. <laughs> like it's smart enough that it scares Gendo into covering up the angel's existence. Again, this is like an episode that you know, yeah, that that the, the technology their over reliance on it becomes like their greatest weakness. Uh, it's the problem. It's it the, problem. the problem. It becomes the problem. Yeah. Between the blackout episode and this episode with Iruel and the supercomputer, and the conversation that Gendo and Fuyutsuki have about Second Impact, and you know th- their hints toward the role of science and scientific inquiry in the instigation of Second Impact, these episodes have really established that Nerve and the humans are all kind of, on the one hand, technology is what's saving them, right? But they're also over-invested in and kind of over-reliant on these three mysterious robots and their really finicky supercomputer system. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the last defense of humanity. And it, it, Um, like, yeah, and the thing is that, like, that over-reliance weakens them in, like, a very significant way, but it's not, like, the the state of affairs is the state of affairs. Like, there's nothing else to be done about it. But that's kind of why I like the blackout episode, right, is because that's a moment where technology poses a problem and they overcome it manually, Mm -hmm. right? All of Nerve, including Gendo, they just sort of roll their sleeves up and they remember how to be humans before the Magi system and electricity solved all their problems. Whereas in in this episode with Irel, they sort of just (laughs) out-hack. They out-hack the angel. They do some swordfish shit and it's over. (laughs) (laughs) Um, At the end of this episode and going forward, they're still reliant on the Magi supercomputer. And the Magi supercomputer is smarter than all of them. And the fact that the Magi supercomputer is smarter than all of them. And it is a prized asset. And this angel infiltrated Nerve HQ and almost took it over. And that is not something that Gendo feels obliged to share with the outside world. Or even with the inside world. Or even with the inside world. With anybody. He doesn't want to tell this with anybody. Um, right. Which, conveniently enough, uh, the next episode, Sele, begins with... Sele raking Gendo over the coals for the Ereol cover-up. 
Yeah, it's it. This is a funny scene because Gendo is speaking before this sh- the shadow committee, Sele, which is overseeing Nerve, and Sele specifically comes to him and says, "Yeah, so I heard there was an angel attack." And Gendo's like, "I don't know what you talking about. What are you talking about?" <laughs> He's like, "But this is Angel. whole meeting. Angels, Angel. you praying? This is- you praying?" <laughs> I, I miss church. I was at work. <laughs> He's just like playing dumb. And Sele is like, stop fucking with me. There was an angel attack. What, what's going on here? And you see that basically it's illustrating this tension between Nerve, and Gendo is the, the primary representative of Nerve, and Sele. And Gendo is clearly trying to obscure the fact that the previous angel gain direct access to the command center by way of the Magi supercomputer. And all Gendo can really say, since they're conf- they are they know about it. Sele is saying, we know this thing happened. Gendo tries to play this off. He's like, listen, in any case, everything is proceeding according in accordance with the Dead Sea Scrolls, right? Um, he sort of speaks of this prophetically. Like, even the tone in which he says it is, everything is proceeding in accordance with the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, and you you have this sense that the Dead Sea Scrolls refer to the sort of page that Nerve and Sele are supposed to be on, even if the viewer doesn't actually know what the Dead Sea Scrolls are yet, that that's the protocol that Nerve is following in fighting the angels. And so Gendo is just trying to say, listen, what happened in the past is the past. Everything is proceeding according to plan. As in every other episode of this show, Risco is running a bunch of tests on the pilots. This time she switched them around so they're in different units. So for instance, Ray is sitting in unit one. Shinji is sitting in unit zero. Asuka is only sitting in unit two, though. Sort of Asuka and Masato have this conversation where... Masato's like, ah, you don't, Asuka, you don't want to pilot any of these other robots, do you? And she's like, hell no, I have the best robot. And then Masato privately reveals that, you know, frankly, she, she reveals to the viewer, not to Asuka herself. But Masato basically says, the only person that can pilot Unit 2 is Asuka. But you have these tests going on. And you have a, a really curious exchange between Ritsuko and Ibuki in the command center. Ritsuko at one point orders a test of what she calls the dummy system. And she's having a conversation with Ibuki in the command center when she orders this test. And Ibuki gives pause. And she turns to Ritsuko in the command center and she says, Hey, I I have nothing but respect for you, ma'am. And I will do my job, but I'm not sure this is right. And so she's making a sort of moral objection to this test that Ritsuko has ordered. And we don't really understand what the test is yet. And we're not going to talk about it that much more. But this is sort of one of the earlier moments where one of the junior staff in the command center raises a sort of moral objection to Ritsuko. But of course, Ritsuko in her cool Ritsuko fashion sort of just glides right past it and proceeds as normal. So they run the dummy plug test on Unit 0. And Unit Zero this time has Shinji sitting in the cockpit. And during the test, Shinji has this weird freakout dream where he perceives Ray kind of assaulting his consciousness. How would you describe it, Micah? It's sort of well, they're they're kind of there's a gentle like supercut of of different 
people in his life. And then he's just like, what is this that's like entering my head directly? And it's like basically of a crazed, like Ray with a crazed expression, like floating up from the depths, like is what it seems like. And directly like at him. And just then, uh, Unit Zero breaks restraints and starts in on the control room. Uh, like basically it's almost the exact same footage as when Rafe failed the activation tests. Unit Zero keeps doing this. It keeps breaking out of its restraints in the test chamber and boxing with the control booth. But it, and unlike before, unlike earlier in the series where Unit Zero is punching at Gendo, this time Unit Zero uh, is punching at Ray in the control booth, it looks like. Unit Zero punches the control booth, punches all the glass out, and it keeps thrashing around. Um, Reed's goes like, give it a minute. The battery depletes. The Ava slumps over. Everyone's safe after that point. After the danger is over and everything's, you know, like, reached stasis, uh, privately, Ritsko reveals that Unit Zero meant to attack her, and she's sure of it. And then Shinji, once again, startles himself awake in a hospital bed and remembers nothing. And then there's slam cut to Gendo's <laughs> office, and Futsuki... Futsuki, like a like a certified G, is just playing shogi with one hand and doing a Sudoku puzzle with the other. <laughs> it is unprecedented. Yeah. Um, and they they have a another one of their cryptic conversations uh, where Futsuki is making some you know light to medium accusations uh, at Gendo about his obsession with Ray. Gendo at this point is saying things like Ray is the key. Fiutsuki's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, all right, relax, bro. <laughs> like, what? It's like, we almost got, Sele almost blew up her whole spot. You covering shit up. You're obsessed with Ray. Which we, I mean, the viewer, we the viewer have known from yeah. the beginning of this show that Gendo is very aware of that. Ray. Yeah, um, um, at this point. Um, and the episode ends with a long shot of Ray in Unit Zero trudging down a hallway carrying the spear of Longinus. Right. And we should say that the hallway, she's trudging down a dark hallway, and the hallway is located deep within Nerve, deep within the command center, far deeper than we, the viewer, have seen yet. And even as Fiyutsuki accuses Gendo of being obsessed with Rei, it becomes clear that Rei is also a crucial part of Gendo and Fiyutsuki's plan, as obscure as it is. But Rei is a key part of this plan, and also whatever the hell the Spear of Longinus is, is also a key part of this plan. Unfortunately, like the episode hard ends on that note, uh, without an explanation of what the fuck Fiyutsi is is talking about and And what the fuck Ray is is doing. What is, what is the spear? Right. Um, but, but I'd say that the, the crucial insight at the end is that Ray is some sort of tool. Ray is a tool. Oscar could have told you that Ray is a tool. (laughs) Ray's a tool. Ray's a doll. Ray, Ray is a doll. Ray is a tool. 
And again, we end this episode with more questions than we really have answers for things. Like, what is the Lance of Longinus? Why is Ray the key? Like, what is Nerve's ultimate goal? What is Sele? What is Adam? What is the dummy plug? Yeah, it's it's this batch of episodes is sort of, it ends on the turn for the series, for me at least, from it being a... I would say a pretty conventional drama to being a drama that has a lot of um, it's being really cryptic at this point. Yes, yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it introduces so many concepts that it refuses to or not refuses to, but that it withholds explanations of for a long time. Yeah, like the it's, fact that Sele is introduced early in the series, but they're not named initially and. Gendo keeps going to these shady ass Illuminati meetings, but you don't really understand what the conversations at the shady Sele meetings are about. Yeah. It's basically at this point, we have turned the corner from this being a drama to like sort of like a psychological thriller. It's like, Micah, you know how in the one thing we didn't really talk about is we've talked about the opening theme song for the show. But the fact that the opening credits for Ava themselves are just a bunch of flashing images and a a bunch of them are flashing images of characters or flashing images of the angels, but they're also flashing images of terms, right? (laughs) And it's just like a flashcard that says angels and the next one says AT field. Yeah. And it says absolute terror field, right? And that's sort of the phase of the show we're entering at now where it's just stark black <laughs> title cards with white font that are just flashing new terms at us and then they're gone in the blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah. Without with, without without much explanation as to what they are or how they fit into the larger picture. Right. But with a lot of gesturing at the idea that they are in fact important and in and also that their importance is kind of startling and confidential. Um, again, I think a lot about that conversation between Ibuki and Ritsuko in the control booth, and it's not clear what they're arguing over when they're arguing about the dummy plug system, but the way that conversation is framed, Ibuki, it, she's like an Iraq war protester in that moment. She's just like, I I can't get with this. I cannot, I don't support this, ma'am. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean... Y'all gonna have to wait for the next episode of Sound Only for us to explain what this shit actually is to you. Uh, because the show is not even explaining it to us. <laughs> uh, obviously, we're making this podcast with the benefit of having seen the whole show before. But, you know, we're trying to respect uh, universal spoiler law, I guess. Yeah, I guess. you know, like, we don't want to give away too much too soon. Yeah, and- you know, we're trying to be polite. Not trying to have people in Micah's mentions. <laughs> yeah, and just mine, because again, crucially, just Justin Charity. Uh, again, not on Twitter. Um, but I am though. So if you got some stuff to say, keep that shit to yourself. We're gonna see you next week. No, no, don't say that. Because in <laughs> fact, what I wanna say is this is this is the part, this specifically, this batch of episodes is the phase of the show where I feel like the viewer would be like, I, All right, I have I questions. Have questions. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, okay. So if anything, if I would it, say, okay, please at Micah, please, please send questions. Please at me if, you have, if you've got questions up to this point that you want answered. I'm going to tell you right now, we might not have satisfying answers for you. Yeah, that's the wild but thing. But we will that, like, do our best. We're sort of assuming, oh man, somebody who's only watching the episodes that we tell them to watch uh, according to every episode that we're covering in this podcast 
yeah, people who are watching the show for the first time are not going to be the only people who have questions for us, obviously. So yeah, I don't care if you're a longtime fan of the show, first time viewer of the show, by all means, at Michael with questions, because this is, again, this is the part of the show where uh, you you got to treat this like a White House press briefing. You got to ask some follow-ups because there's a lot of, there's a lot of half-assed reveals that have happened so far in these <laughs> yeah. past few episodes. Yeah. Like, yeah. also, what the fuck is Kaji doing? <laughs> Kaji, every, it's funny, because, like, outside of the shots where Kaji is hugged up on a lady, be it Ritsuko or Masato. He's sneaking he, around in yeah, the ventilation like, shafts and shit. Whenever, like, whenever something happens, there's, like, a hard cut to Kaji, and he's, like, in a... He's in, in a the, place where he shouldn't be. Yeah. Right, right. He's in a weird ventilation shaft, and he's like, ah, an angel attacking. I guess I should report to... And it's just like, where the fuck are you? Why are you here? <laughs> there's a point, in fact, there's a point during one of the battles where... Oh, you know what? It, there's a point during the Magma Driver episode where <laughs> Asuka is agonizing about the fact that Ritsuko has to design the giant bubble suit for her to go into combat in a volcano. And she's afraid that the Ava looks ugly. And also, they have to inflate her own plug suit so that she can withstand the heat of the volcano. And she's just agonizing about, like, what if Kaji sees me like this? And Kaji doesn't see her fight Sandalfon in that episode because Kaji randomly is on a ski lift talking to some intelligent (laughs) source. He has this weird conversation with the woman on a ski lift, and he's clearly a spy. He's a spy. We're we're at least declaring that. Kaji is some sort of spy. Kaji is a spy. Kaji is a spy. That's the only thing we're explaining at the end of this episode. Kaji is a sexy spy. I love Idris Elba as much as anyone else, but (laughs) the new James Bond is Ryoi Kaji. And for the next episode of Sound Only before you come back. Or, you know what, just do whatever you feel. But really, the suge- the gentle suggestion here is watch episodes 15 through 21 before you come back and listen to us answering your questions. Although, once you watch those episodes, you'll have fewer questions, but then we'll just, you get to listen to us be hysterical about the answers to a lot of these questions. Deal? Deal. Deal. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. Talking fuck about boy. The, the, anime fuckboy. Hey the man. history of anime fuckboy. <laughs> the history of anime fuck, but, but also it's just kind of like, listen, if Kaji's a fuckboy, so is Spike's Beagle. I mean, yeah, they're all, but that's the thing. It's a lineage. It's a lineage. <laughs> the player. The you know the, 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 the Japanese voice actor that does, that does the Kaji character also does Spike in Cowboy Bebop? Wait, Kaji? Yeah. Is Spike's? No. Yeah. No. Yes. I disagree. Yes, and he does the he and he does uh, the dude from Ninja Scrolls. I'm fact checking all of this. <laughs> I'm copy dead. Where's the copy dead? <laughs>